Welcome to episode 784 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 784 of I'm Talk with Coach John Newsom, Bevan James. Oh, you got your polka dot socks on. Polka dot socks. Yes, I have indeed. Nice, very flash. Yeah, thank you. It's been a good morning so far. One of my, my team cube won a stage on uh, the Vuelta, which is a tour of Spain, one of the three big tours. Tour de France is always on top. Then you kind of have maybe the Giro second, the Vuelta third. Is this in your cube, is this in your bike? I, I gave oh, it a tip. I said, oh, okay. go hard at the end today on the last climb. You you, you gave them the, the wise advice to go hard at the end. Yep. Wow, did. that's genius. Yep. Cue bikes up the top. Good to see. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, and polka dot socks. So it's, mm. it's all happening in your life right now. I'm talking proudly brought to you by our fantastic patrons. Uh, we've got, you go first, John. Paul Mango Mad Moore. Uh, we've got, now I've got to, have you booked in? Been there, done that. Oh, Christine the Grinder McKinley is moving on from the dentist she's at right now. We're having a break. Got in early next Monday. Right. She said, I saw her at the cash. She said, I'm leaving. You better get in. I was like, we're getting in. <laughs> so we're going to see her. And then? Chris the Combustor Apple. There we go. In this week's show, we've got some news. We've got Hot Topic of the Week. We've got a great interview coming up. We have. We should be talking to Hamish Carter. Now, there's, for Kiwis, you'll know that our Olympians have just returned home and, and the first batch have just come out of quarantine. So he yeah. literally came out of quarantine yesterday. And Kiwis will also know that there's some crises going on in high-performance sport in New Zealand. Um, and so hopefully we get him on. If not, we're going to improvise. Otherwise, we'll There's going to be a lot of improvising because there's no show notes back up, is there? <laughs> <It's> not. <laughs> so if not, Amy should be on next week. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then we've got Wing of the Week at the end. Questions and answers. Jombo, let's talk about some results. We had two races happen over the weekend. One was a female-only pro race and one was a male-only pro race. So let's look at the female race. Ironman Finland. Uh, uh, and uh, who took it out? Laura Phillip opened a can of what about that It's funny how conditioned we have got to those fast times for girls, because she that was a dojo domination. She it won was. by twenty minutes. But when I saw the time, I thought oh, yeah, eight eight thirty eight, and then I thought eight thirty eight. That's awesome. It's smoking. But back in the old days, like remember when going sub nine was that's it. Yeah, you sub know, eight thirty eight is kind of like solid now. Yeah. No, it was awesome. And what was interesting was uh, three of them came off the bike together. So there was Imogene Simons, Jocelyn McCauley, and Laura Phillip. Uh, they basically swam together. There was only four seconds covering them in the swim. And then they all three of them came off the bike together. I, as With the COVID regulations now at races, what's kind of quite, quite like seeing is the transitions basically at your bike rack. You know, so you pull oh, in, yeah. it's old school, you rack your bike and you've got your bags there, you sit down. Oh, no, so no don't have fancy, a tent or such? No fancy pants tents, oh, okay. it's just sit down, put your shoes on there, you've got to do it all yourself, nobody there helping you, I do like that aspect of it. So all those three females were in transition together and you would be thinking that Laura Phillip is the best runner of the three, but Jocelyn McCauley is still really awesome. Um, Look and at run! We would have thought Imogene Simons would still run well, but uh, yeah, she just... Open a can of whoop-ass three, a 2.52 on the run. What's um, the fastest female run? Uh, Is it in the 40s? Rennie did close to 2.50 in Kona, didn't she? What did Cat Matthews do? I'll have a look at that in a moment. Uh, I think Cat Matthews went about that, if not a little bit quicker, in the when she did that new Ironman earlier in the year. Tulsa, I think it was. Okay, uh, but it's 
that's in the region. Two fifty two is about as quick as it gets. And when I saw she won the run by twenty minutes. Yeah, she didn't look the tiny bit of footage that I saw. Didn't look like she was going very quickly, but clearly she was. Uh, the conditions on the run, or at least at the end, looked miserable. It was bucketing down with rain and didn't look very pleasant at all. But yeah, 20-minute victory over Jocelyn McCauley, uh, who didn't run particularly well with a 3.13. She's normally um, or easily capable of a sub-3. But she clipped the ticket for Kona because uh, she had not done that yet and was in serious danger of not making it. Imogene Simons, I think, already had a slot. So those were your top three, and then there was uh, Daylight back to fourth and fifth. So... Good on them. Laura Phillip, keep an eye on her for Kona. I mean, she got, what she, I think she got fourth last year on debut. She's only done three Ironmans or so. Uh, she's 34, and yeah, look out for her in Kona. She was beast mode. Okay, so then we also had Ironman Germany. Now, these two were championship races? Um, okay, they I don't know. Everything's a bit different yeah, this year. Yeah, because Germany's traditionally was, a, a championship yeah. race and, and female, both and female and male race, but this year it was only the male. Mm. Uh, and we're not quite sure if it was a championship race, but Patrick Nielsen takes it out. It was a good race. Uh, so Christian Holgenhag uh, went crazy on the bike. He rode a 4.16 after a 50 minute swim. He had a pretty healthy lead coming off the bike. And then Patrick Nielsen was running alongside. Um, one of the Norwegian beasts, Casper uh, Stornis, who is a really, really good um, short course athlete. He got, where did he go? I don't know where he got in the Olympics, but in the test event for the Olympics, he got either second or third. Uh, he's won, I think he's won one race before, but he's a good, consistent performer, normally in the top 10. And he was, I don't know what happened to him in the end, he must have completely detonated and did not finish. But for the first lap, I think they were doing 10k laps on the run. Uh, he was right there, and then he sort of sort of dropped away a bit. So he won't be joining Christian Blumenfeld on the start line in Kona. Um, but Patrick Nielsen had his work cut out. He had to run a 2:39.39 to take the victory, uh, and he only did that by 47 seconds in front of Christian Holgenhag, with David McNamee also running a good run, 2:42 to finish in third place, get a Kona ticket, and uh, P- Peter Hemrick was in four and Franz Lotsky in fifth. Interestingly about Franz Lotsky, I'd hardly watched any of the footage at all, but the tiny bit that I did did watch was coming off the bike, and I'm almost positive he's already got a Kona slot. Came into T2, and there they did actually have a tent. So uh, the old school was in Finland, they didn't have a tent. Here they did, and he was lying down on his back, really relaxed, doing a bit of rolling with a roller on his back. It did a bit of rolling on his side and then put his shoes on and then took off. And he didn't, yeah, it was interesting. Where did he come in the end? He got uh, fifth. It's an interesting technique going, okay, I'm going to lose a, a minute, minute, maybe a little bit more here, but that's got the potential to gain me, you know, five to ten minutes if my back locks up during this run if I know this is going to help significantly it's a very good investment of his time uh, so Patrick Nelson is an interesting one because he's uh, a very highly regarded athlete um, but he's he has not raced well over the last couple of years so 2021 uh, he had a DNF and he's had lots of DNFs yeah. DNF in Lanzarote DNF in Tulsa and a 15th at he's had a Challenge lot of Cancun. DNFs uh, 2020, we know that most a lot of people didn't race much, but he had one race to finish 22nd at the 70.3 Genia, which is in Poland. 2019, um, he basically did nothing in the second half of the year. He won Ironman Texas in very impressive fashion in the 7.53, but prior to that, um, a DNF in Cozumel, DNF in Hawaii, and he did have a couple of 70.3s. 2018, so he only two, completed one race. Yeah, two years, um, hardly achieved anything. 
2018. Five, five races in 2018, four DNFs. Mm. One, but he did get second at Ironman Germany, which is awesome. Yeah. Uh, and that would have been a strong field. Yeah, so bit of an enigma, either on or off. Uh, but t- 2016, Barcelona, Copenhagen, and Barcelona 70.3, mm. which probably aren't the strongest races, but still, you know. He's, he's got the goods. On, he's got the goods when he's on form, uh, but when he's not on form, he's a DNF. Have you got the Ember Moment results? Oh, I'm going to find those. Uh, okay, well, coming up this weekend, we've got Ironman Copenhagen. It's uh, Let's have a look here. It's There are more no-prone races like Ironman Vichy in September, and there are nine Ironmans between the 9th and the 10th of October too. So there's a lot of races happening in the next period, to period of time. But let's just have a look at Copenhagen while John's finding the Ember Man results. So coming up this weekend, who have we got here? We've got... Line of Sanders. Oh, so he has to take it, doesn't he? Now, how many slots have we got? Two, he has two pro slots and total price points of 50000 paying 10 deep. Is it a male-only field? Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so two slots. Now, based on the numbers we're seeing in front of us, only one person is doing the race who's already qualified. Now, looking at the field, there's a lot of people, like David McDemey, he raced last weekend. Can't see him turning it's up. It's impossible to tell who's going to race. Yeah, there's so many. Like Seriously, I'm looking at the top 20 here, and of probably 80% of them have a, 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 a cross-trix symbol next to their name, which basically represents that they could not be racing. Uh, we we pretty much guarantee Sanders is going to be there. If he wants to go to Kona, he is. And uh, the big bugger is he's got to do the... Collins Cup. Collins Cup the week later. So that kind of sucks. It does really, Colin doesn't it? man. What's going on here? Uh, when, is this his last opportunity? When does the slots close? Yeah, no, this is it. This is it. So he has, to, he has to deliver on the day. Now, of the names that are on the list, there's some good athletes here, but you'd definitely say he's the favourite. Absolutely. Yep, John's still trying to find NBA results. He's, <laughs> he's, I've lost them. I saw them on Facebook the other day, and uh, he's still looking for NBA yeah. results. This is a great yeah. podcasting. People love it when we just stop and you type. Yeah, okay. that's the key to audio content. Yeah. Just stop and you type. Now, Ember Man goes over the cold Izzard, which I'm, I really want to go. Wait, wait, where'd that come from? Day. We're talking about this race here. We're talking about Ember Man. Oh, okay. Goes over the cold Izzard, which is a great, great. Scrolling through the Facebook page, see if I can find them there. Okay, here we go. Winning odds: Nielsen, Hogan, Hag, McDemie, Carrie Lester took out the Ember Man in eleven hours and twenty-three seconds in front of Marion Seiko in eleven forty-four. Gabriella Zelenka was third, so Carrie Lester won by forty-four minutes. So that's pretty awesome. On the boys' side, you had uh, Leon Chevalier in a new course record of 9.26.18 in front of Etienne Dimunch. Uh, so he won by 10 minutes. And Andre Vistica, who's a bit of a regular there, was another two minutes back in third. So great race. Been there before and we've done uh, Epic Camp. Sort of, We did a little Olympic distance race there, which is also awesome. And a good little base to go and see some of the other climbs around the Alps. So check out Ember Man. Okay. We've kind of touched on Copenhagen. Let's just say, you're thinking Sanders has got it, don't you? Yeah. And he's, you just hope he's going to race tactically and just do what he needs to do. Surely he will. If he gets to the lead mm. and he knows he's got his slot, he'll take it when he's just very hard to know who's going to race there. Very, very hard. Yeah. So fingers crossed. They've got a potential field of 52 people. Yeah. Guarantee ain't going to be that many. 90, well, about at least half of them, 
have got asterisks next to their name. So I'm picking he'll uh, he'll win it. Oh, Christian Blumenfeld's still listed on there with an asterisk next to his name. He's not racing. Uh, so come on, Sanders, do it easy and still have some juice in the tank for Collins Cup. Here's a question. He's second, but he's got to fight for first. But he knows he's going to get a slot. What do you think he does? Hmm, it's a good question. I think he would button off. You think he would? He doesn't yeah. seem like he's got he's got an ego to yeah. to control himself like that. I would hope he hope he would. Collins Cup is way more important. Yeah, totally. But there's going to be bugger all. How much prize money is there? Fifty thousand, I think. Fifty thousand paying yeah. paying through ten. Um, but it's not about the prize money for mm, him. Like true. he's making plenty of money. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting because it, I agree. He's he's got to get his number one priority is getting to Kona, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And then Collins Cup second. Absolutely. Yeah, and so then so. Yeah, if I was in his shoes, I'd say, but you like winning, don't you? You do. Yeah, but he likes to dig deep, and so you've got to be careful before Collins Cup. Okay, few other uh, races other races we, coming up. Uh, we've got the Arctic Triple in Lofoten in Norway. Haven't heard of that one before. The Thor Extreme, also in Norway. So you've got two ra- races in Norway this weekend. You've got the Ocean Lava in Poland, and that's about it. And as Bevan said, a lot of racing coming up over the next two months. Nine races in... Uh, September 9 or 10 in October. Uh, so a lot of them are age group only, but lots of racing, lots of catching up to do. Okay. Uh, let's look at this then. Then we've got John's ITU update. We had the no, mon- no, no you see, I've even changed in the notes here. You didn't read that, did you? What? John's World Triathlon update. Uh, it's okay. not ITU anymore. Okay. World Triathlon. We changed in the show notes then. Yeah. People will be complaining. Yeah. John's World Triathlon. It doesn't just come off the tongue as well. Does it? Apparently they've done an athletics. WTW? WTU? Do they say that? Well, the races are called... It makes more sense when you talk about the races because you call them World Triathlon Series races. So okay. that makes more sense. But to call the national body World Triathlon? I don't know. I'm sure we'll get used to it. I used to think 70.3 sucked big time. I'm still not hugely fond of it, but you kind of get used to it. Uh, but I actually think it's probably better than Half Ironman. Mm. Because Half Ironman is like your little brother. Mm. 70.3 is its own entity. Mm, true. You know, so uh, okay. Montreal eliminated. So what happened? It was a bit like Super League. What happened? It was. So you started with uh, with that. They struggled a little bit for numbers. I think they originally were going to have three heats, so they ended up having two, and they took a bunch from those through to the the top thirty, and that was the next day. So the start of the second day, you had thirty athletes on the start line. Do one race, ten get eliminated. Do another race, another ten get eliminated, and then it comes down to the, the top ten shootout for the the money and so on. And we had a trifecta for the Frenchies. Dorian Connix took it out from Vincent Louis and Leo Berger. Uh, I've only watched the highlights; I haven't watched how the whole race unfolded. But those three are very very good athletes, as you can expect. Martin Valreal was fourth, and then Antonio Serrat was in fifth. So, yeah, I'm not going to pass too much judgment on it yet because I haven't watched too much of it. Um, but Dorian Connix he beat out Alex Yee in the Olympic test event in the mixed relay on the run um, and when he fires up he's got a pretty good turn of speed so good to see those guys cranking it up our Kiwi had two Kiwis in the final which was kind of cool Hayden Wild and Taylor Reid Hayden Wild got sixth he was a bit disappointed with that um, but just didn't have the sort of speed and legs on this particular day How did they go you know if we think of the 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 smooth and kind of well-polished professional product that Super League are putting out. How does this go in comparison as a, as a visual spectator? Like, I know the racing's the same, but do they do a good job of how they put it together? Haven't seen it yet. So okay, okay. <laughs> comment. Okay. It didn't... 
the tiny bit that I saw, it didn't look like the course was quite as compact as Super League. But again, that was from the five-minute highlight package. Um, you know, Super League's often really narrow, uh, so it just seemed a little bit different. Um, Super League just do a very good job of making an entertainment product. Mm. And I was just kind of curious to see if World Triathlon, while they're kind of copying these types of racing, and let's be honest, Super League copied it from early days, so it's nothing yeah. new. But um, it's just interesting, are they making a product that actually, not just it's cool for us to watch as fans, but actually would appeal to Joe Public? I'll report in next week on that. Okay. The, the, the challenge they had with this is they've got some very good athletes there, but they didn't have all of the best athletes there. Now, part of the reason for that is some were voting with their feet because they didn't necessarily like the, the format being thrown on them. It wasn't, it was, you know, this year, lots of things have just been made up and they kind of, I saw Maya Kingma, who's currently leading the series, saying, well, you know, you've changed things. You included the Olympics in the World Triathlon Series. Oh, did now they? Include, yeah, for points. Uh, uh. Now you've included um, this race, which wasn't initially advertised. And it's, a t- it's like going from an Olympic distance to, you know, something that's quite different or like it's equivalent of going Ironman, try to do really well at half Ironman. Some are okay, some aren't. Yeah. Um, so they didn't, and, and the other thing that makes this really, really hard, and I thought this when they came out with it, is like doing four or five races in, um, in the space of sort of 24 hours is really, really tough. You know? Oh, yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I think, right, yeah. they did, whilst it's cool to watch, in terms of athlete Texan. welfare, you've got to wonder whether it's the best thing. I do like it, but that is a bit of an, an asterisk next to it. And risk of injury does go up because it's not just four races, it's four intense races. Well, and the thing there is, for the top guns, those first couple of races probably aren't they can full s- noise. Okay. But for those ones that are on the bubble, then yeah. <laughs> you, you do have to go max, max effort. And to top it all off, then they did have a mixed relay the next day as well. So if you do, if you if potentially of doing... I think it was either five or six races in yeah, that's you know, a, a couple of days. So I think a few people went. We got the bronze and the silver. We got a silver in the mixed relay, which was which was cool. And what they did with the, a, a number of the nations did with the mixed relay. So they had the they had the qualifying on Friday. They had the main races on Saturday and the mixed relay on Sunday. Countries like New Zealand and most other countries put their lower ranked athletes that didn't necessarily go through all the rounds into yep. the mixed relay so you didn't have the in the French team for example you didn't have actually I don't know who did in the French team but we didn't put our two guys into the New Zealand team um, so yeah on the female side of it Flora Duffy continued her winning ways she beat out Taylor Nib and Taylor Spivey uh, with Katie Zaveris in fourth place so that was all good on the female side again haven't watched too much of that but Flora Duffy doesn't matter what distance she goes at, she's just cranking it. Good stuff. Okay, Jombo, uh, you got a little bit of a quiz. The quiz goes like this. Who are the oldest wheel triathlon athletes in the top 50? Now, for you listening, John's actually got the answers in front of us, so we both know this. So take a pause if you want to try to guess this. They've got to be in the rank of the top 50. The reason I looked at this yesterday was um, I was looking at these results, and I, th- I saw Vincent Louis, and I knew, well, he's kind of one of the oldest athletes here, so I just did a little... Louis? 32. Uh, Louis is 32. I just did a little sort to see who was the oldest, and here are the results. Gomez is not actually in the top 55. He's 38. Um, So those that are on the boys' side in the top 50. But is is that because he hasn't raced much? Like he'd normally be in the top 50, wouldn't he? Normally. uh, And when he has raced, he hasn't raced very well this year. But still enough to get in the top 50? No, he's raced really poorly this year. Oh, really? Yeah. Not not top 50 poor? Yeah, Olympics he bombed out. And actually, I don't know if he's done much other racing, so maybe okay. I shouldn't say he's raced poorly. Because surely, even if he raced poorly, he'd be in the top 50. Yeah, Olympics he did poorly, and maybe he hasn't actually raced that much. Uh, so anyway, he's ranked 55th. Uh, Vincent Louis, 
Andreas uh, Salversberg, Tamas Tooth, and Yahoo Silver, all 32. So those are your oldest on the boys' side. On um, the female side, um, you've got Spirig, who she races fairly infrequently. She's 39. And Frontova and uh, Ide from Japan are both 38. So the, the females have got a bit of longer staying power than the boys. Oh, there we go. Okay, uh, this week's discussion. So with Collins Cup coming up, we John put up uh, before we actually recorded last week's show, the automated qualifiers for Collins Cups are out. Each team now have two males and two female spots for captain's picks. Who would be your picks for each team? And we've got a few answers coming through. Peter Colson's coming through, and he's saying, when they first announced the Collins Cup, I remember driving uh, home in a brand new car, I've just purchased, now the car is now 17 years old. He's saying it's taken forever. Hey, they're there, Peter. There's only really one, one, maybe two people here that have actually answered this question. Uh, Neil Hastings says, Team Europe is too stacked. They should have done a Commonwealth team, maybe have uh, evened things out a bit. Plus, Great Britain has more in common with Oz, Kiwis, and South Africa and Canada than it ever has or will with Europe. And that started off a whole debate. All people are going, no, no, we relate more with Europe, not with the Commonwealth countries. Anyway, Neil, you didn't answer the question. Uh, here's a good question, which we can maybe do as another one in the future. In any one time period, who would be the greatest team? So, like, if you went, like, the Germans in the 80s, no, in the 90s, when you had, like, Lothar Leder and... Mm. Now, I get that, you know, athletes are faster now, but who would have had the greatest team across the time period in, in mm. any of those categories? But anyway, uh, Killian Long's got... Wouldn't, oh, wouldn't fancy being anywhere outside of Europe in this comp, which is a great comment. Also, going back to John, John O'Tucker, he commented on Peter Colson's comment about it's taken 17 years... And he said, Peter Colson, to be fair, we've all aged 17 years in the last two. <laughs> so yeah. that was a pretty good comment. So the, the only, just about the only person who actually did have a crack at this, Hua Chin, says in Europe he would have gone for Daniel Backengard, uh, Javier Gomez, Nicholas Spurig and Laura Phillip. Uh, on the internationals he would have gone for Flora Duffy. And the USA he went for Taylor Nib and Katie Zaveris with Morgan Pearson. US needs as many Olympians and all the help they can get. Yeah, they do, don't they? Okay, so let's look at this, John. So we have had the announcements from the captains. So the US internationals and the Europe's have picked their team. Their captains were, uh, who were the captains again? Uh, Germany was Norman Stadler and uh, wasn't it? Was it Bennett? Chrissy? No. no, it got changed from Chrissy because she wasn't. Going no, to who was the one who won six? I mean, oh, Natasha Badman. Badman, yep. Uh, the internationals, I think, was it changed. It was I think Simon Whitfield and somebody else yep. and the Euro uh, and America was I think Karen Smyers and, and uh, Mark Allen and Mark Allen I'm pretty sure that's right it did change around a bit hence the confusion so anyway uh, for the Americans the females that have been picked were uh, Taylor Nib and Katie Zaveris which I think are Fantastic picks. Couldn't agree more with them. I think um, Jocelyn McCauley might have been next on the list. Um, she has does great Ironman racing and had, does do some awesome 70.3 racing. She is a bit up and down, but when she's on, she is on. Uh, the men for the Americans, they went for Leatherman and Jason Metzler, or Justin Metzler. Um, I would have gone for ITU athletes on the, the men's side. Maybe Kevin McDowell. I probably would have gone Chris Leatherman. The, the other top-ranked Americans, you had uh, Andy Potts and uh, Starkowitz, Hoffman, Tim O'Donnell. Uh, so Tim O'Donnell had a heart attack? Yeah, he did in a, in a race. Uh, is, in is he okay? It's pretty minor. Yeah, he seems, seems okay, okay, but not sure what the long-term prognosis is. But anyway, I think the Americans on the women's side have done a great choice. Men's side, 
I probably would have gone for an ITU athlete if they were available. Uh, yeah, well, that's true. Are they available? Uh, internationals, so the women's picks were uh, Salthouse and Crowley. So a couple of Aussies there. Um, I think Salthouse is a great choice. She's been really consistent, 70.3 athlete, um, often races a fair amount at home, um, but definitely would have picked her. Sarah Crowley is an awesome Ironman athlete. At a half Ironman, I reckon they could have uh, could have maybe looked somewhere else. I'm sure they would have invited Flora Duffy, but... I guess she's not available because she would have brought star power to it. Plus, yeah. I think she would have been awesome. Amelia Watkins, um, our Kiwi who lives in Australia, she's injured, saw her on crutches the other day. Um, I would have probably gone for Ashley Gentle over Sarah Crowley, so get a bit of ITU action in there. Don't know if she's fit or not at the moment. Uh, then on the men's side, well, the they picked Kyle Smith and Jackson Laundry. Yeah, so Kyle Smith was a pretty good choice. He's our Kiwi boy who was just crushed our Kiwis on multiple occasions mm, and has had a couple tough. of good races in Europe. Jackson Laundry is a, you know, had a good race at the 70.3 in St George earlier this year, but I probably would have gone for somebody, um, maybe one of the Aussies, Nick Casteline or Stephen McKerner, um, but again, I'm not sure how much racing they've been doing, especially the Aussie guys at home. Europe, we've got for the females, the picks were Kit Matthews and Emma Pallant. They didn't pick Spurig, whether or not she was available, but I reckon she would have been an automatic pick. Um, Emma Pallant is really good, consistent 70.3 athlete. Kat Matthews has had an amazing season, but her long course is more impressive probably than her half, but uh, she could be one to surprise. But I would have gone for Spurig. The other one they didn't pick, again, not sure availability, was Jodie Stimpston. She crushed it at the Miami 70.3, and yeah, I would have gone for probably Spurig. Stimpson and maybe even Lisa Norton, um, but I still think Europe probably don't need too much help. And then the men's were Beckengard and Keenley. And now it was obviously Bloomfield wasn't available. No, I'm guessing not. Because he'd been a great pick. He would have been a great pick. So well, but Europe are struggling. They probably really need him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I could have busted out my European <laughs> yeah, passport and coming over and you still would have won. <laughs> uh, Beckengard is, is a great choice. He's shown so far this season he is awesome. Uh, Keenley, love Keenley. But he hasn't shown much over the last couple of years, and he's better at Ironman than is he at half. I would have gone for someone else like a Martin Van Riel, who's an ITU athlete. I haven't got Gomez in there as well, or Brownlee, uh, and, or George Goodwin, who is doing some great racing. So I think Keenlay will bring maybe more eyeballs, and he's a great character to have in there. But I reckon you could have got a, a young gun. Wait, did he ask you something? Place. That's a really good comment. When was Keenlay that strong? So if we go to Collins Cup, Collins Cup. Great podcasting. Yeah, here. yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone I learned from the best. <laughs> yeah. um, and then his rankings. Let's have a look at his Collins Cup pro triathletes. So Gomez is currently ranked 16th. Sebastian Keenlay is currently ranked 19th. Uh, he's 37. And but look so at his far results. This season, he went ninth at Challenge St. Poulton, third, third at Challenge Riccone. Last year, he DNF'd at Daytona and finished second at 70.3 in Tallinn. And then 2019, he got third in Kona. He did get fifth at the 70.3 World Champs. So maybe we're being a little bit too harsh on him. Yeah. He had a pretty good 2019. He got, he got third in Hawaii. He got fifth at the ITU World Champs. He got, and I'm pretty sure in that race he actually outran Gomez. He got second at Germany. He won Challenge Samarin. He won Challenge Halbron, and he got seventh at 70.3 St George. So, and then <laughs> we've got short memories. Well, no, yeah. you know that's why I'm questioning because I don't have a short memory. You have a short memory. Then the year before that, he did DNF at Hawaii, but he had a win at Challenge Walsey, a win at Challenge Finland, a win at Challenge Roth, a win at Challenge Halbron, a didn't second, second at Challenge Samarin, and, and a second at St George 70.3. Didn't he get second at 70.3 as well that year? No. Oh, okay. 
So, yeah. And he's got pedigree. Yes, and he's a great character. So, and I don't think Europe's going to struggle. So, okay. So early predictions. Early predictions. So if we go one versus one versus one. Yeah. Uh, so and the, if they're not, it's not going to go this way. But if the top ranked athlete in each team race against each other, you got Jan Fredino versus Lionel Sanders versus Sam Long. Well, it's like Jan Fredino. <coughs> uh, Jan yeah, one, Fredino. two, three, international. Well, you'd think I'd go Jan Fredino, probably Sam Long, Lionel Sanders. Oh, really? Sanders is probably going to be tired from racing in Ironman oh, okay, the weekend before. Yep. Yep. Next up, you've got Gustav Eden versus Braden Curry this versus Rudy Von Berg. Gustav Eden, you'd think, would take it. Um, I'd say Rudy Von Berg second and, and Braden Curry That's close because Braden can pull off a great race. Yeah, Rudy Von Berg's yeah, that, yeah, form. That, Braden got, Curry hasn't been racing. True. Uh, and then next round, this is where it starts to get interesting. Um, third on the guys, you've got Joe Skipper going Sam against Sam Appleton and Matt Hansen. I don't know where to go with that one. I reckon I'd go Sam Appleton, Matt Hanson, Joe Skipper. Joe Skipper's awesome Iron Man, 70.3 less proven. Uh, and then the fourth off the cab there is you've got Patrick Langer versus Max Newman versus Ben Canute. And just to reiterate, this isn't how it's going to pan out. This is just taking the, the different rankings. I don't know. I th- I but there's one including the captain's picks. So then captain's no, picks. But hold on, we haven't done that one yet. Patrick Langer versus oh, Max sorry. Newman versus Ben Canute. I reckon we'll go... Max Newman, Ben Canute, Patrick Langer. I kind of agree because Newman's got, got form. Yes. You know, he's in pretty good form recently, hasn't he? So, um, and Langer, we haven't seen a lot of, and, and traditionally not the greatest 70.3 athlete. And then the, if we go to the sort of fifth and sixth ones, ones you've got uh, Lieferman versus Kyle Smith versus Backengard. I'd probably go Backengard, Smith, Lieferman. And then the last round, you'd have Keenlay versus Laundry versus Metzler. I actually probably go for Keenlay there. Oh, you're back. You've shut a total U-turn in 10 minutes. So, yeah, it's it's not going to pan out that way, but it would be quite interesting. Team Europe will still take that out. On the girls' side, uh, females, you've got Daniela Reef versus Teresa Adam versus Sky Munch. You'd think Daniela Reef should do that. Teresa Adam has not been racing, so if she's on form, she's awesome. But who knows what her form's like, so I'd go Daniela Reef, Teresa Adam, Sky Munch. Second, you have Anne Haug versus Paula Finlay versus Heather Jackson. That could be quite interesting. Paula Finlay, if she's on, could win that. If she's not on, she's not going to win it. But I'm pretty sure Heather Jackson would get third out of those three. Then you've got Lucy Charles Barclay versus Carrie Lester and Jackie Herring. You'd think uh, Lucy Charles Barclay would take that out. Maybe Jackie Herring second, Carrie Lester third. Then you've got Holly Lawrence versus Ginny Metzler and Chelsea Sodaro. You'd think Holly Lawrence should take that out pretty comfortably. And then for the fifth and sixth ones, this is where it gets really interesting on the female side because you might have Katie Zaveris versus Salthouse versus Palant. I don't know which way that would go. If Katie Zaveris fires up, she could be pretty dangerous. Uh, and then you've got Taylor Nibb versus Crowley versus Matthews. So I think the Americans might win one back there. No, I think it's going to be really cool seeing how this pans out with the picks and, and how you which order you put people in. What's the date again? I can't find the it's date. It's not the... It's not, it's the weekend after next. Okay. It's not like far away. 28th. Uh, yeah, good times. Rock and roll. It's going to be fascinating to see what happens. Okay, this week's discussion. I made this one up because John hadn't actually put one in. It's week. I think we've done it before, but we'll go there again. I don't know if we've done this before, have we? I think we have. Uh, oh, oh, sorry. Because you didn't <laughs> do your job. Uh, uh, if a top triathlete had, complete, had to compete in an Olympic sport that didn't involve triathlon, swim, bike, or run, what sport would they do best in? So they can't swim, bike, run, they can't do triathlon. Oh, right. Oh, okay. Sorry, I thought you meant if they were going oh, to Oh, it's a great swim- question, isn't it? If a top had to compete in an Olympic sport that didn't involve swim, bike, or run. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
It's one of those ones. <laughs> You're a shitty. I thought it was going to be if they were going to go and do a swim race, a bike race, no, or a run no, race. no, no, no. So like they can't do any, they can't use the skills they've had. Mm. What sport could they actually do okay in? Don't give you answers. It's a great question. Maybe go down as best question of all time. Uh, now we're going to do an intro, but there's a chance there's not going to be the, the interview. So we're going to say, "Hey, Mish Carter." Yep. Absolutely legend of the sport. One of the only Olympic gold medalists in the sport. Um, icon in New Zealand. Uh, here he is right now. Okay, team, uh, as you heard earlier in the show, we've got Hamish Carter on today. He's Olympic gold medalist, three-time world championship medalist, uh, 1998 World Cup winner. That was in the days when the World Cup was like the World Triathlon Series we see these days and also Commonwealth Games medalist and recently back from the Tokyo Olympics. So welcome along, Hamish. Oh, hi. Yeah, thanks, guys. Good to be home. A legend. That's what he is. He's first night in bed last night after spending two weeks in Christchurch. Let's not even go there, John. Let's <laughs> not, not even go not there. Go there. Yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> now, a lot of our Kiwi listeners are going to know your, your sort of background, but we've got a lot of internationals as well that won't know sort of your pre-triathlon days. So from my recollections, you started triathlon at a pretty late age, around sort of 21 or so. So correct me if I'm wrong there and maybe give people a bit of an insight into you know, life before triathlon for you. Yeah, sure. I think I was a typical um, kid growing up in New Zealand, you know, had the opportunity to be part of um, lots of different sports, kind of enjoyed it. I was the youngest in a pretty big family. And I think the uh, for some reason, sport gave me a means to be noticed. Not that I was, um, I had a bad family life. It was amazing, but that, the, you know, there was, um, had, had a five, five of us in the family. So heaps of uh, opportunities to do stuff, pretty lucky really. And yeah, I think, I think sport was just a means that gave me a real kind of place of uh, an identity, I guess, um, I pretty much did a lot of sports and I guess learned pretty early on that I was good at stuff that was really hard um, and kind of just was able to <laughs> persevere. I think I was reasonably good at sport. Like I could do stuff pretty well. And then, um, but, you know, I think most of you will know I was mainly a rower at school mm. and which I sort of, uh, for some reason, was a bit delusional, but thought that I could be go to the Olympics with rowing. And even though I guess my part of my inspiration was had been John Walker and having him having seen him won the uh, fifteen hundred meters at the Olympics, there's very much part of me was wanting to pursue that just because it was it just looked um, amazing. Mm. And you know, I think f- coming from New Zealand, you saw a New Zealander able to achieve at that level you thought well I don't know if I thought it was possible but it was let's say within reach um and so then yeah but for some reason rowing was the main thing and then wasn't that big so uh because it was okay at rowing and awkward grammar but just tried to hang in there for as long as I could then when I wasn't like six foot three I was never really gonna be able to survive for much longer so once I left school um yeah just uh, progressed into triathlon and yeah it wasn't um wasn't that flash at first but I think I had a real strength in the sport once I kind of could do the three disciplines and started to get some success and then from there just started to head overseas and took opportunities as they came my way but 
it was pretty pretty much figure it out as you go pretty much make every every mistake along the way and um, I think I was just lucky from an early age to get the right people around me and really good coach and management support there was no real program it was just trying to figure it out for yourself and it's quite daunting going over to Europe or America and trying to do some races and you have no idea what you're doing really but it's kind of funny at the time you just kind of figure it out so yeah and so managed to get through in first Olympics in Sydney that was a shocker wait wait wait, 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 wait. you're jumping way too far so question 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 I have for you is is so you're kind of you know, pretty good athlete as a kid, find out rowing is not going to really be your buzz or at least the potential to go where you're going to. So you kind of leave school. Had you given up on the athletic dream at that point? Or was it, you know, like, did you still have a dream of going on to being an Olympian or something like that moment? Or was it more you're starting to build a career and triathlons this thing you're trying on the side? Um, I think I just had a, uh, I don't know whether it was just determination or bloody mindedness, but I just felt that that was, that was um, who I was and that's what I had to do. Yeah. And I guess I never really thought if I would ever make it. Um, I, I just, yeah, I just had to try. And I think um, it was just the determination really probably that I got from my parents and, and um, but just the sense that, yeah, despite probably not being able to make it or, or the, the challenges that were ahead of me, um, I was like, well, I'm going to try anyway, just because, it's in front of me and it's like, um, I think I may have a chance, but you know, you're a long way from making it at that point. You're just really going day to day. And I think the big part of it is I enjoyed the work. Um, I enjoyed, yeah, the training was hard and that, that sort of suited me. So I just kind of just day after day, things started to build up and I had good, as I said, really good people around me who were advising and helping me. Since the 92, you went off to world champs and you finished in 61st place. It was over in Muskoka and in Canada and Simon Messing won that one. That was still pretty early days. When you came back from that event, you know, where were you at? I don't know if you had any issues that race or it was just, you got your socks blown off, but coming, coming back from 92, what, what were your, what was your thought processing like? Uh, yeah, I was pretty shell-shocked. I got over there and I got destroyed and I suddenly realised that um, I'd been pretty good in New Zealand, but then I thought, golly, I am not that good. Mm-hmm. I think what really mattered was for some reason I had in my head that there were athletes in New Zealand that were the best in the world at the sport, and that was the likes of Rick Wells and you know there was Aaron Baker. There was a lot of other athletes as well who were super good at that point. Even our, some of our juniors are really good. Like, you know, had guys like Paul Amy and Cameron Brown and, I don't know, was Jamie Hunt in the mix? He was. There was lots of good juniors, and, I, and they were kind of almost the best in the world. And you got to see their level, and you kind of were trying to rise to it. And I think automatically that kind of that momentum was around you or you're lucky enough to experience it. So you just got carried along a bit by that, really. You just kind of felt, well, you know, if they're going to do it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to just see how long I can, um, how good I can get. Well, 93 was complete contrast because I remember actually going 
to the national champs in Tauranga. It was my first ever Olympic distance race. Dropped my drink bottle early in the bike ride. It was a nice warm day and <laughs> that didn't end up well. Um, but I remember you absolutely smoking that race by some ridiculously large margin. And then you kind of, 93, you kind of just hit your straps and went from strength to strength and got third at the Manchester World Champs behind um, Spencer Smith and, and Simon Lessing. So what, what sort of clicked between getting 61st and 92 and then being, you know, a, you know a contender in 93 and third at the World Champs? I think the main factor there was I, I don't it wasn't, uh, whether it was by design or... Um, I couldn't really say, but I guess I identified early on that if I put myself alongside the best athletes I could, then I'm going to be at their level, um, which is presumptuous, I know, but that's, you know, you think quite simply when you're younger. Hey, it worked. (laughs) Yeah, it did. And I I went, I got the opportunity to go to Europe and spend um, six months with a group of Australians. And like that trip was hard. I was, I didn't never traveled and I was over there and pretty homesick and I didn't enjoy it a lot, but I certainly trained hard and I was, I just got an incredibly um, um, degree of fitness and I was super strong and um, that's why the race went the way it did. But yeah, as a first trip overseas, not really knowing what to expect and not really having any money and, and really just racing from race to race to, to survive. I think the toughness of that um, taught me a lot around the fact that I'm lucky to have this opportunity. And if it's really tough, then it's really, really hard. But that's just, it's kind of what you did. And Mm. I think it just kind of is a reckoning that you decide, well, if this is what it's going to take and I'm willing to do what it takes, uh, then I just want to keep doing it for as long as I can. And yeah, so that's really what I was able to do. I mean, I, I raced well that year, but I didn't really know why I raced well. So um, although I figured things out for that particular day, I was very much not that good at replicating it. So it took a number of years to pinpoint, you know, how do I perform under pressure when it matters most? And it, and it took me a long time to, yeah, to figure that out. Do, do you remember at that moment, and, and I, I hear what you're saying there is that it was kind of a kind of a bit of a roller coaster in performance or at least understanding of performance, but at that time, was there kind of some breakthrough moments in your inner belief about your ability to actually be a contender and kind of think more ambitiously about your career? Yeah, for sure. You, you results do give you belief, or, or good training sessions make you believe that you're good enough. Um, I think the hard thing is, is when you're good enough and you stuff it up and you can't replicate what you're doing in training, and you're kind of like, "What is wrong? What's why is this not working?" Or why are you doing a hard training session and you don't recover properly? And you're like, what's happening? Why can't I get what I could do last week? I can't do this week. And I think it's very much the um, it's very much the path you've got to walk. And it's kind of the part of being a professional athlete, which uh, this is where you know having the right people around you is really really important because they'll they're there to sort of help you figure it out. Um, it's a very complex sport to get right. And unfortunately, you're going to get it mostly wrong before you get it right. And then again, so you've got to, yeah, you've got to bring a really, um, what I'd call a disciplined approach to learning and, and kind of making mistakes for sure. But, um, you know, learning from them each time those happen and trying to constantly improve. So, um, 
but yeah, I mean, the hardest thing was is when you when you know you're good enough to be in a certain position in a race and you just get demolished and you just can't get a lot of it is like there's no reason for it. You just went that good that day. You just got to let it go and move on. And so it's it's a it's a really it was a tough journey, but um, yeah, again, one that I was just willing to do whatever it takes and just keep keep persevering really. So it's a 94 through to 99, you know, there was lots of success there, lots of podiums. You, you were consistently one of the sort of top performers on what was then the, the World Cup circuit. What, what, was, what did life look like? What did your year kind of look like? Um, you know, being based in New Zealand, it's different to elsewhere in the world. So what, how did your year sort of map itself out? Well, at the start of each year, um, I'd sit down with my coach and we'd sort of figure out what's going to cost to run my campaign. And we'd have to make sure that with my manager, we had, you know, we had some money to pay for stuff. And, um, oops, sorry, that's the coffee machine. Um, <laughs> um, had to kind of look at it and think, well, if I want to spend three months in Europe and a month in America and a, a, a month in, in um, Japan, because that's where the World Cup races were. That's firstly, that's the first puzzle to solve. And then, um, and a very big part of Jack's early influence on me was, he said, the business you're in is not about going fast. He said, the only thing you need to be able to figure out is how do you go fast on demand, like when, when it matters. And although we had success um, as an athlete, I never was, I was quite good, but I wasn't really, really good at winning the big races. Mm. But that's what we spent so much of our time trying to figure out. So even if I won a World Cup, um, it was always the conversation was, well, okay, but that's fine. But it only, it only matters if you can do that on the, at the World Champs. Like That's the race where you've got to deliver this performance. So um, a lot of the time was spent trying to figure that out. Because the adage that Jack had was anyone can go fast, but he said you've got to be able to go fast when when it matters, and so um, and that's the kind of a whole other layer of complexity, um, and uh, and so yeah, it was quite difficult. I was racing well enough to make prize money that kind of helped me, and I had some amazing sponsors that sort of supported me. Yeah, because without those two things. Um, it wasn't really that possible. And again, you couldn't travel with your coach. There was no physio support. Um, but that was okay. That was just kind of what it was like. And so you just kind of dealt with it. Mm. Um, yeah, but it's a real jigsaw, jigsaw puzzle. It's, it's uh, you know, again, still a lot was going wrong. And, um, and, and a lot of my races, I was getting seconds and thirds a lot because Simon Lessing and Brad Bevan and <laughs> they were just, I couldn't beat them. It was, it was, <laughs> I, I felt like a lot of my career through that period wasn't successful. I was probably, oh, really? hard on myself, but yeah, I felt like I just won, I didn't win anything. I was not that good at performing at the world champs. Um, and I usually get really annoyed about that. And so in a way, although that was a good period of my career, I felt like I, I hadn't mastered the sport. So there was a real determination to get better and um, I wasn't happy with third or second. I, I was like, I don't know, I just wanted to win races and I didn't win many to be fair. So that was kind of, that was sort of happening in the background of my mindset, I guess, through that period. 
talk, talk a little bit about those rivals because, um, yeah, you mentioned probably three that I had on the list here, a couple of them, Brad Bevan and Simon Lessing, and I had Miles Stewart down there as well. So how did, how did you sort of figure out how to, to beat them? Because you did um, on occasions and, you you know, you beat Lessing, I think it was the 97 world champs, you managed to get one up on him, but then buddy Chris McCormick was there that day as well. So yeah, how, did you, yeah. how did you try to figure out how to, to beat those guys? Yeah, so everything. You try and take them out on the swim, you try and take them on the bike, you try and... Um, they generally were faster runners than me. I mean, the 97 world champs in Perth, where I did beat Simon, um, we ran out of transition together, and again, on that day, I felt that Simon was the athlete who was going to win the world champ, so I pegged myself to him. And it was a mistake because Chris McCormick was up the road and I got to about 7K and I realised suddenly that Simon, I was stronger than him. And then I only had 3Ks left to try and get across to Chris, but it was too late. And so again, you know, the ability to deliver a winning performance on demand uh, wasn't in my repertoire. I hadn't, hadn't figured it out. And, um, and that was the kind of the conversation. You know, you're happy to be on the podium, but then you're like, well, I know I can beat him. I just need to figure out how. And so um, it was, yeah, it was, it was frustrating sometimes, but um, uh, that's kind of the, that was kind of the thing. I mean, there were races where Brad Bevan in particular, uh, or Simon, would come out of transition running and they would probably put 10 seconds on me in the first K of the run. And uh, no matter what I did, you know, they it just it, they just kept on being able to do it. Uh, and you just, yeah, for race after race, when that happens every single time, you are trying different things. Um, but on reflection, it probably was quite a successful period of my career. I just was, yeah, not really, I should have probably been thinking, oh, it's actually going pretty well. And I'm actually... I'm actually having a good time here. I should actually give myself a break, but <laughs> I didn't really have anyone telling me that at the time. Although Jack was hugely supportive of what I was doing, obviously. Um, but yeah, we're both really, really intent on trying to figure out the 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 peak, the pinnacle event, the pinnacle race each year, and how do we win that? Just just going back to Lessing, because you know, there's been a few athletes who actually dominated the sport for a period of time, and Lessing's one of them. What was his aura like? Oh, it was, it was amazing. He's, um, you know, I would have fallen into the trap of times of being beaten before the race because really? I just knew he was better. And it, I don't know if he was better, but he just, he was just really good. Like really had no weaknesses. He was super good racer. He was incredibly strong. Um, he worked as hard as anyone else. Uh, he just had figured the sport out and he could, when he, when he raced, he was like, yeah, really good. Um, it took me a couple of years to get my head around the fact that I could beat him. But, you know, um, yeah, he had, a, he had a very strong uh, sense about him and it sometimes was, was very intimidating, even though he didn't say anything. He was just the kind of guy who did, I think he did change triathlon and he, he took it to another level like the Brownleys did. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was dominant as Brad Bevan was another you know, very good athlete on his day. It was incredible. 
So you talked a bit about your team. Maybe just um, share a bit of love to, to your team that, that kind of evolved over time. You talked about Jack Ralston, and and I know you must uh, – I mean, heard you talk too much before about your managers because you had a really good sort of – well, it seemed like you had a really good team of sponsors down here. So maybe talk a bit how that evolved and, and some of the people that were involved. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was definitely Jack from a performance perspective and Roger Mortimer was, who's my manager, was kind of um, from, was like, a, uh, if you draw two overlapping circles, Jack was the, um, was the athlete piece and the other overlapping circle was like the person piece. And what Roger enabled me to, what helped help me to do is to kind of create a sense of, um, I guess, in the early days of my brand and what sponsorships and opportunities he could, he could help me connect that to other organisations. And so, you know, we would work just as hard on um, getting and looking after sponsors as I did as an athlete. And so... For me, there was my business, and uh, and Roger helped me do that. And then for for being an athlete, it was Jack who was trying to help me do that. And then you had, you know, another coach, Mark Bone, who's my um, swim coach. But that was that's why I'm saying, you know, such a, a massive part of my success. And again, mostly, other, you know, all other Olymp- or many other Olympic campaigns that I've worked with that have been successful, you often can draw a direct line from their success towards a very capable and defined team around you mm. and, and each role that they're playing is enabling you to be that person that you need to become. And so, um, yeah. And then obviously um, later in my career, my uh, wife, Marissa was, became a really, really um, important part of it as well. A, a real stable part and a piece of, you know, reality and the, the roller coaster ride of being an athlete. Um, sometimes you don't think of your partner being in your team as such, but because being an athlete is so encompassing of your life, you can't help but have that piece there that kind of, in a way, balances and the glue that holds it all together because often it's overwhelming. Mm. So, yeah, those were some of the people and probably many others, but those were the main people involved. Mm. Um knowing what you know now you know and we haven't even got to 2000 yet but if you replayed the sort of the 90s period would you have done much differently and and, and a second part to that question is how has the no, actually don't no, do that one first i'll come back to the other <laughs> one i was going to get too much um what i think the main thing i would have done is i would have got on board like a critical friend and by that, I mean someone who's experienced in what I was trying to do, but could just look across everything I was doing. And with uh, my coach and manager and, and, and just kind of look at it and think, where are the, th- at, a, at a helicopter level, kind of a strategist, like here are the conversations you're having. This is what you're putting your time and energy into. Um, have you thought about this? Or I see this as something that's not working quite right because you're so buried in it. Um, you, you're doing your best to figure it all out, but you I think it's really, really beneficial to have someone that's sitting a little bit further out of the circle and can look in across the, across everything. Because I think for the most part in triathlon, 
you're really trying to solve multiple problems that all interrelate. And so often you're too close to it. Even your coach is sometimes too close to it. So I would have put someone into a role within my campaign that had the authority to challenge everything and to be disruptive and to help um, us have conversations which we might not want to have because we kept making lots of mistakes over and over again, but we couldn't see it. So we just probably could have um, looked at things a little bit differently from time to time. Um, I'm not saying that would have made it easier. It probably would have made it harder actually, but we might've got to the solutions a bit quicker because um, yeah, sometimes you, you don't know what you're missing. You know, you want someone to be able to look at it from different perspectives. That would have been pretty helpful. So I know you've told, probably told this story quite a few times about the Olympics, but you know, going into Sydney, you were, as we've said, through the 90s, you were one of the real strong contenders and first Olympics, a lot of pressure and everything like that. Um, what was going through your mind as you, as you sort of stood on the start line in Sydney, knowing you were a favourite and first time triathlons ever up? Yeah, what was going through my mind? I mostly was terrified of what was about to happen. I, I figured that... Um, I had everything. I, in my head, I'd figured the sport out. I believed that I was ready. I believed um, I had this bizarre mindset that, um, what was the word? Um, it, it, was, it was, it would be, I thought it would be um, just, it, was be, it would be fair if I won the race. <laughs> Oh, really? Okay. It's my, it's, I deserve it kind of thing. Sorry, that's it. I, I was trying to think of the word, but I couldn't yeah. give it. Yeah. I was the deserving winner, okay? Yeah. Yeah. And you can see that that's a ridiculous um, perspective because there's 55 guys who all deserve it, and it's an arrogant perspective to think that you deserve it. Um, and I think, yeah, I, I, was, I was fixated on a medal, uh, I had got too wrapped up in what I was going to do once I won the medal. Um, oh, really? So you actually was that far, that far thinking ahead? Yeah, way ahead of myself, wow. off the track, completely unawares of how far off I was, but I thought I was. I had all figured out, but I had nothing figured out, to be fair. Um, and it was kind of, yeah, it was, it was really brutal. I mean, I um, after that race, I just was... I just didn't know who I was. I lost everything. And I, I, I mean, it was a necessary um, chapter in my career. It was actually probably the most important because I needed a jolt that, a, a significant enough jolt to really change not only my understanding of performance, but who I needed to become because I'd become the wrong sort of person. And I'd become that person because I felt that's what I need to do. But actually, um, I was just completely wrong. And so, um, and you think you do something for, I don't know, it was about eight years or nine years. You think you're pretty good at it. You won, you've won some races and you kind of, you, you have a filter, right? You're filtering details and you think, yeah, that's in, that's out. And I know that's right. And I've, and I've got all this experience, but the entire operating model had to change and it wouldn't have changed. Well, if we'd got 10th, if I'd got 10th in Sydney, I would have made some minor adjustments, but it had to be what it was because I had to change. I had to flip the whole thing on its head. And when I say I, 
um, I'm talking, I mean, it's, it's, it's our entire team and, and the entire approach to what we're trying to do. Um, uh, but it was brutal. Like, um, yeah, I just, I was nearly, I probably nearly quit after that. I never wanted to go back to the Olympics. Um, you know, it's, the Olympics, is a, it's a brutal environment. You, you've got to go into it knowing that there's only three medals. Um, a lot of people are there and, and have aspirations to do really well. A lot, lot don't. They're all trying to perform at their best. Most of them don't. You know, how do you reconcile that when you've worked your whole career to that, up to that point? And again, it's just a really, um, you saw it on TV in Tokyo, the highest high and the lowest lows. And so it is a pretty, it's a pretty challenging experience to go through and still is for athletes, I think. Did the, I mean, there are plenty of others that don't perform there, but on, on that particular day, like Lessing only got ninth and there was others that didn't do well either. Did, did they have a, or did you talk to them about it and did they have similar experiences to you thinking it was a bit of a foregone conclusion? Um, I don't think it was a, the result. You mean the result was a foregone conclusion? Yeah, like Lessing, you know, he seems like the kind of guy thinking he'd go into every race thinking he's going to win it, and then he yeah. comes away and he only got ninth, and, and yeah. you, were, you were further down the field, but did, did they have that, I don't know, maybe a little bit of complacency as well? Yeah, I think it's, it's an event which is different, even though you try and make it the same, and I think um, for some of us, we just weren't prepared for what it was going to be like. We'd never... You know, we're an Olympic sport up until that point. You did have athletes like the, the medalists were probably hard to predict, but they had somehow just come in and raced and just been themselves, you know. I think sometimes you're often, you know, all humans have a major doubt in their ability when it comes, when the time comes. It's just a natural human, you know, feature. And so uh, I think you can really easily lose sight of who you are and, and what works and you can start to do things which are a bit wacky um you can start thinking things which are a bit weird and um you can lose track of it all and suddenly you race and you just think why don't I just enjoy it like why don't I just stop trying so hard but in hindsight you know you, you think you've got to do all those things so it is really really um difficult but I think you know, even this Olympics and, and Rio Olympics and London Olympics, New Zealand as a high-performance system is getting much smarter at figuring out what's the best way to help coaches and athletes prepare for their Olympics. Um, there's conversations and there's things that you can do. And quite often it's trying to influence a coach and athlete to include something that they may be missing uh, with enough time to build that into their operating model so it becomes a real strength where they might have a major gap um, and it's kind of those looking for those things is what's kind of interesting about the work because each athlete's got their own jigsaw puzzle they're trying to figure out there's no answer it's just how can you get more pieces than your opposition in place on a given day and how can you deliver that performance and, and have a result that you're proud of and um accepting the fact that in a race things can be taken out of your control because you put yourself in a bad position or you can get in a crash or you can get a flat tire and I can list 20 things but again just trying to um, remove all those those barriers as best you possibly can.
So post post Sydney, it's a pretty kind of depressing time for you. I don't know if depression is the word, but it was obviously a very challenging time for you. Uh, you, you kind of see there's kind of a total change in direction around how you approach things. So what was that shift and what did you learn and how did things change? I think the first thing was, um, it was the slap in the face of the truth. Like you can build up your, not your understanding of yourself and think, well, I'm this good. I'm that fast. Look all the races I've won. But the beauty of a performance under pressure the result is the truth, whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. And I came to realize that, um, you know, I was being, I was where, I was exactly where I needed to be. Um, and, and I had, um, at that point, I realized I needed a different team, um, quite literally. And that's when I started working with Chris Pallone. And Chris was amazing. He, I think some of the first things that he did was um, after Sydney, kind of subtly actually, but he kind of kept talking to me about what was good about the race. Like, what did you learn from it? And I think what that did for me and him was we switched from a mode of blame and anger and hate and and upset and all the emotions that, that flood in when you think about that race into a into a mode of like okay well that race provides the biggest lens on who 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 am I and who I who do I need to come to better win that race and what sort of athlete do I need to be and so we just were able to have quite honest conversations about that um, and and you know one of the hardest things I had to do was uh realized that I wanted to change coach I'd never done that before I had to sit down with Jack and it was really difficult um because you know I always envisaged that we would do this together so you know he's a guy who's put uh years and years of his life into helping you then you say well I'm going to change and you feel terrible it's real hard but it's that's the point, right? It's not easy. None of it is easy. You've got to just go into it knowing it's going to be difficult. But when you feel something has to change, you've got to have the courage to do it. And Jack was amazing. He's like, he just immediately said, you've got to do this. And you've got to, if you need a new coach, you need to go out and work with a new coach. Um, there was no hard feelings. He just wanted the best for me, which is a pretty, pretty amazing you know, person. Because mm-hmm. he wanted it for me. Um, but I just had a gut feel that I needed to do it. I needed some fresh eyes on what I was doing. So fast forward four years, you know, we talked about your mindset basically uh, before Sydney and, and ha- when you're lining up in Athens, what, what's sort of going through your mind as you're getting ready to dive into the water? Yeah, so um, this is where the switch happened, right? Not, I'm sorry, not the switch on the day. This, this, the four years where I've been working on a whole different approach and um, it takes a lot of practice and so I rehearsed it and rehearsed it and tried to figure out my mode that I wanted to be in for the Athens games. Um, so walking out onto the pontoon in Athens, um, my mindset was the opposite. Like there was really no, nothing in my head around a medal. Um, what I got, what I figured out was that I needed to get my uh, mind inside my self and be able to deliver my performance and you know that's a cliche but you're very much focused in on your process of delivery 
And so instead, like in Sydney, I'm thinking about a medal. Uh, in Athens, I'm thinking about my performance. And I'd learnt also to give myself a break. And so I had a, I practiced walking out of the pontoon, smiling and looking around and just sort of taking it in and just recognizing that this was amazing. And that I had no real control over the result that um, I need to let go of my ambition because it's just going to get in my way. And I need to be free to race in myself, like in my own mode. Um, and so that's really what I stood there kind of focused on. And if you stand on the start line and you kind of, you, you let the result go, it's quite a terrifying prospect because you do know it's the Olympics, right? And you do know that this is the race that counts. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's layers of pressure, but you're able to park it to one side and you're able to be free of it because it really just gets in the way. So it's kind of a control piece around what are you, what are you drilled into with your mindset? Um, and, and just give, you, give yourself permission to enjoy it a wee bit because you know you're going to race hard. Um, anyway, that, that's what I figured out I needed and it definitely worked. I mean, it was a, I was a totally different person, to be fair. A lot so of other things changed, yeah. I imagine um, it would have been quite a – well, no, no, you tell me. Was it a very fun race to do? Because the, for people that haven't watched the Athens Olympics – you basically did a lapse of this climb. And when we're talking about a climb, this is brutal. Like some athletes were literally swerving across the road. It was that steep. And Hamish, you were amazing in the climb and climbing. Bevan was was similar. You know, you guys were just such strength athletes. Was it quite a fun race as it, as it worked through or was it pretty stressful the whole way through? I would say it's stressful. I think, um, what was it like? I <sighs> When we got to about three laps into the bike course, I think I started to enjoy it because I had a, I had a badish swim. I was running quite well, so I swam, didn't swim that well. Um, anyway, I managed to get back to the front quite quickly. Uh, I think definitely Bevan and I were quite looking forward to what the hill would do to the race. Um, we had... Yeah, the, the, the first lap, I think everyone was kind of pretty aggressive and there was a lot of, there was a few attacks. And then the second time at the hill, everyone was like, holy, that's really quite hard. <laughs> <laughs> everyone started to get quite conservative on the bike. And I don't know what Bevan, where Bevan was at, but I think, well, I'm pretty sure for both of us, every time we went up the hill, I, I definitely felt like we were getting control of the race. But you're also cautious, right, because you don't know. Um, you don't really know how others are feeling and you're sort of trying to read their body language and you're trying to have drink, drink good nutrition and you're trying to conserve as much energy as you can while you're trying to hurt the other guys. So you, you, um, you're trying to corner well and you're trying to, you're, it's a weird, you're trying to ride with them, but you want to disrupt them. You know what I mean? You're trying to make them tired. I know that doesn't sound very nice, but that's what you're trying to do. Yeah. Um, and so it was just, yeah, we, we were just able to wear the others down. And um, I think I didn't know really, it wasn't so much there was another New Zealander in the race, but um, it, was, it was enjoyable from that moment on after about three laps on the bike because I did feel like the hill was taking its toll and we were starting to get control 
or we were starting to, I was starting to feel stronger than those around us, which when I think there's a group of about six of us on the bike, which is a really nice size group to, to be able to work together with. Uh, on, on the run, uh, if we look at Tokyo recently, um, you could almost feel this huge weight lifted off the shoulders of the front three when it just came down to three of them and they're all going, sweet, I'm going to get a medal. It was somewhat similar in Athens from memory where it did come down to just three of you on the run. At that stage for you, did you have that sense of, oh, holy shit, I'm going to get a medal or were you still focused on trying to be first? I reckon um, it's it's funny. It's like eight, you know, I think I've probably told this before, but eight, about eight hundred meters to go on the run. Well, we, with those three of us away, as you're right. I mean, Bevan had surged, and the two of us kind of moved away from Sven, who was in third place. And Bevan um, kind of said something. Then he's like, "Shit, man, we're going to get a medal here," and, and that sort of surprised me a bit because I think what Jack had installed in me and, and again, the number, number of failings that I'd have with, of never winning a world champs, um, always second or third or fourth or fifth. Um, it was, it annoyed me enough to know that I, I, it never crossed my mind that I was there to get a medal. I had to win it. Um, I wasn't thinking about winning it, but I just wanted to be the first person across the finish line that it's a they're two different things in my mind um i wanted to i wanted to um be yeah the first athlete and and second or third was not not an option i was just not willing to uh, and it was i don't know maybe in, in the back of my mind there was a sense that you've missed out on this every single time and this is a don't this is it just get it right like mm. like do what it takes um you, you get you get the moment and you just have to take it and i don't know there was just a real deep determination i think that's what i had at, at the end of that race and did it, did it, give, you, did quite, it give you an energy you know because you know you guys you're at the river you're, you know you're both pushing really hard yeah yeah, yeah did, did that kind of place just to give you another spark yeah it did i was um i know yeah the best way I can probably describe it is like it's a deep anger. I, yeah. I guess that's what I would describe it as. Like I was kind of um, in a weird way, like Bevan's a really good mate, right? He's a, and he's, he's a super athlete, but I was angry that he was still with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I didn't want anyone with me. I wanted to be the first. And, um, and I knew that he would beat me in a sprint. Like, so I, I played a little game. I, I kind of said, I think, I think I've made a mark on the road. I didn't literally mark the road, but I decided I was going to be in the front at that point. And if I collapsed at that point, then I was going to collapse. But I was going to be the first person. And then if I got to that point, I'd probably be able to finish in front. Um, but it, was, it wasn't quite that clinical, but it was... I don't know, I just had multiple versions of the way in which I was going to get to the front and be and stay there. Um, and I just, yeah, I guess, I guess that's the point I'm making is that I needed all those disappointments and I needed to be skillful as a person to better draw that all those points together to give me that determination with 400 metres left in the race. Um, 
and, and it needed to be that because, um, yeah, on his given day, Bevan probably, if we'd raced the following day, he might have beaten me. Uh, you know, that's the nature of our sport. Um, or we might have not made the front pack. I mean, it's it's a, it's a highly variable sport. So, um, but yeah, there was there was a real determination there. Um, I even surprised myself to be fair. It was quite clinical. It was quite angry. Um, yeah, it was felt like something was in me rising up to say, "This is this is your race," um, and I'm not letting it, not letting someone take it. And if and if he had have taken it off me, I would have. The, it's not really about the winning. It was much more that I did lay down my a really good performance, and that's to be fair. That was my focus. Like that's what I wanted. I wanted to be able to lay down super good performance, and um, because I knew that, yeah, I had to do that to be able to live with myself. Because Sydney was such a disaster. I knew I could do better. So I was trying to sort of get that to happen, so I could feel satisfied with my performance. Yeah, representing New Zealand. So was being a being an Olympic champion everything you'd ever hoped it was going to be? Um, it's a funny thing. I think it's amazing for what it means to the rest of New Zealand, which is a real gift. You feel like you've done something which means a lot to a lot of people. Uh, you, as much as you can, you want to share it with others so that they can get close to it. Because when I was a kid, I got to see up close those champions and sort of rubbed off on you a little bit mm. um there are definitely parts which you sometimes you wish you didn't occur um uh, and those are some some different stuff but i think um no it's absolutely it's it's an amazing experience and you feel mostly privileged to to being able to have those things come together and 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 you and look for me the last probably 10 years um, working in sports still, you want that for someone else. You want others to have that come together because it's so hard and unlikely that it will come together. But when it does, it's, it's a really special point in their life. And, you know, case in point, um, seeing Hayden's result in Tokyo was, yeah, one of the highlights of, um, my work in sport because I know what it means to him and his family and everyone else in New Zealand. And I'm so, yeah, and Craig and his support team. So I'm so happy for them. You just feel like how amazing is that? He, he, he got a third place and it was so amazing. I was so stoked for him. You mentioned there were some challenging parts of being the medalist. What is that? Um, I don't know. I, I don't really like to talk about that too much because I don't want to break break down what looks to be always amazing okay. um but i think a couple of things um i think you that's all you're ever seen as okay and so it's the identity thing yeah and that's okay because people are just people just want to congratulate you or and that's you know it's really nice um, but if you, the, the, the example I'd use, if you went to work one day and you did this phenomenal podcast, let's say it was the best podcast ever. We do that every yeah, week. Yeah. Thanks, <laughs> I know. I'm trying to think of a yeah, but what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so, and then you, and then you do all these other things and that that's the only thing people talk about. Yeah. And you kind of think, well, I've 
done a whole lot of other things as well and I've really tried hard at some other stuff and I've made mistakes and I've and I've made good contributions and and but it, it keeps coming back to that that one day and yeah. um and that's not a, so maybe it's not a bad thing um but um you know your life does go on and yeah, yeah you chant yeah and you you do different stuff now and and so I think that's but I'm, I'm not saying I'd change that. I just think um, it is what it is. Yeah, I, maybe it's not a bad thing. I think it's just some things, it just lingers a bit and you think, yeah, um, you do tend to move on with your life and other things become important. Anyway, but yeah, um, yeah that's, that's one thing, I guess. Um, so you did a couple more years sort of on ITU circuit or now World Triathlon circuit. Did you ever think about going long? And if not, why not? Yeah, it did occur to me that that was a natural kind of next step, but um, I never had a, a split second desire to want to go long. I just, it just wasn't my, wasn't interesting to me. I've huge respect for what athletes can do over an Ironman distance, and um, and I don't think I would have been very good at it either. So um, now, luckily, I think. I did spend the next two years racing as much as I could, as well as I could, but I knew the time, my time was up. I wasn't enjoying the sport. Um, I was tired, sick of traveling, but I knew I had to race until I had no more races in me. Cause once you're retired, I was never, you know, you're long time retired and mm. Rick Wells gave me some good advice around that. He said, when you retire, make sure you are sick of this. <laughs> <laughs> because we're so lucky, right? You know, I know it's hard and, and it's sometimes you've got to deal with tons of disappointment and you're traveling and you, you, you can't make any money and you all this stuff is really, really hard. But also, you know, athletes uh, live a, um, it's a privileged existence to follow your core dream of who you are and what you want to do. And while you're doing that, it's such an important lesson that I learned later that, man, it was cool. Like, it was hard, but I really, I, I had some amazing opportunities to do exactly what I wanted to do. And, um, and I think it's important to be, yeah, just grateful for that opportunity that you have, particularly from, you know, a country like New Zealand. Was retirement difficult for you? You know, we see a lot of athletes go into retirement. And as you said, you've got that identity that you're kind of losing. I know with you, it's probably a bit different because you had that mantle of Olympic champion. But was retirement difficult? And, and what sort of path did you go down? Yeah, it was really difficult. But I think I'd learned at that point that in the difficult, there is the growth. And, mm. and so while I say it's difficult, I think that's, that's where um, the real the real good stuff happens. Like like my Sydney experience, that was a terrible day, but it was that probably I grew more on that single day than I'd ever had as an athlete. And so as I progressed into working, it was hard, but I I guess I'd learned to be that person that really embraced the challenge and every time it didn't wasn't going as well as I wanted, I knew that I was growing. I mean, I went, I worked at zero for three and a bit years. Um, that was amazing. And then at Lion, uh, Nathan um, had, a, had really enjoyed working there. Um, worked in, a, in the Sir Peter Blake um, Trust, not for profit, for a few years. 
Um, and so at that point, I'd probably been 10 years outside of sport. I was sort of, I was asked to be on the board of the advisory group and then the high performance sport board when it was first formed. So I was sort of getting more involved back in sport and starting to work with some campaigns that had asked for some, that, you know, that sort of person to sit on the outside and just ask questions. Um, and I guess I was starting to spend more time back in sport than I was at my day job. And so, yeah, I ended up naturally going back into high-performance sport. And, uh, again, I, I, like most, actually just about everyone who works in sport, um, they do it because, well, I know I did it, because you want um, others to feel that feeling of overcoming all the odds and, you know, delivering a performance on a day where it's just, it all comes together and it's a really special time and knowing how hard it is. So, yeah, it's been nice to be able to give something back in that regard. Awesome. Well, I do always one question I ask at the end of these. Um, <clears throat> you know, like, how would you like to be remembered as a triathlete? Huh. I don't think we've ever been asked that. <laughs> Told you it was a... <laughs> um, I think... Um, I, I would like... I guess I'd like to be remembered as someone that um, gave as much as they got. Like, I think... I've always felt a responsibility being a, a medalist in triathlon to have um, connected that to as many people as possible. And so that in a bigger or small or insignificant way that another athlete could have um, been inspired by, or they, they go on to, to realize their goal, whether it's Olympic gold medal or just, just doing, doing a triathlon, but, um, I think that would be um, how I'd like to be remembered. And, 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 and secondly, probably our sport and everyone who has the opportunity to take part in it um, just is in the sport of triathlon taking part because it's, it's amazing. The friendships, the challenges you overcome, the growth you can get as a person, those things are really special and we all know that that's what triathlon does for everyone. And so, um, yeah, I think that's a pretty, pretty special that that's what our sport does. And, and the fact that it is hard, I think that's what makes it. Mm. That's what makes it so intriguing and it gives so much to so many people. Love your work. Awesome. And I think you've achieved pretty much all those things already, but keep on cracking on. You're doing a great job with Try and Z. Uh, and how cool was it at the Olympics? But, you know, because I actually heard an interview of you on some radio station and you were kind of saying, oh, you know, we think Hayden go well, but actually really the next games is where we're going to get medals. Uh, yeah. How cool was that for you, you know, for just watching that race? Oh, it was super cool. I mean, oh, uh, the, 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 only, the only sentence I probably always avoid is ever saying that um, at this Olympics, such and such is going to get a medal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it's so uncertain, like, and you, of course, all the work you're doing is to try and um, help others to get to that point. And, and then it's up to them. Um, and it's incredibly difficult. This Olympics was incredibly difficult to perform well at because of the, the difficulty of COVID, um, no international racing, travel was really hard. And there's all these athletes who did it anyway. And you're just kind of inspired by that because it's so incredible. Um, and I think for triathlon in particular, the group that we've got, and even those who weren't there, they're an amazing group of people and they're working so hard that, yeah, our sports, I think, 
um, is in a mode where it's where it's learning how to operate together still still learning as a how do we kind of centrally base athletes and coaches and try and work together to get really cool results um, and that's not an easy process it's going to be ongoing for years and years but you see the results now in New Zealand athletes are on the podium on the weekend I mean just how cool is that it's so exciting awesome love your work thanks so much for all your time yeah you're a legend thank you yeah. thanks guys let's do this quickly Jumbo, your thoughts Amazing. No, we, we've actually done this before. We've done the interview, so we, we're sure it's amazing because he's pretty amazing. Let's get into Winger of the Week. You know what? He's not easy to... You can't follow him. What are you doing? Let's just go over his phone. Yeah. Come oh, I'm just, I'm made, no, there was a message coming through about from our interviewee. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, what are we saying? Winger of the Winger Week. Of the Week. Okay. We on fire today. Yeah, we are pretty bloody sharp. Okay, Jombo, I'm going to say... 33. No reason. Just pulled out my butt. 33. Yep, yeah, nice. Your butt's a bit sore. Uh, Clive Esplin. No, I think no, Clive. Clive. He's done a few epic camps yeah. in his day. He did, looks like he's part of that Cup Cal- Callum's Cupcake crew. Uh, he did 17 hours and 34 minutes off 20 activities. Did one hour and 40 minutes of swimming, six hours and 27 minutes of biking, and nine hours and 26 minutes of running. So Clive, for a man who likes his riding his bike, he did more running than anything else. So Clive, I don't even know where Clive's living. He was, goodness, Clive, Clive is living in Lake Wendori in Victoria, Australia. Didn't know that. Clive used to live in New Zealand. Clive's got a pro pro profile on a professional triathletes organisation. Has he? I wonder if our names are on there. It's going to be thinking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my name's on there as well. <laughs> Bevan Isles, results. 24th in Challenge Ron. Uh, what are you looking at? We're on the pro triathletes website. Right. Because <laughs> we race as pros. There you go. I'll take that out. Put that in my put that in the, my, my history bucket. Yeah. Uh, there you go. So, so there you go. Clive Eslin from he's now living in Lake Windori in Victoria. John, I don't think we've got, you I, got Oh, you're right. Clive, you are our Wanger of the week. week. John, we haven't got time for your swim set. Yes, we have. No, we haven't. We've got five minutes. No, Hamish just texted me. He's still in a meeting, so we're okay. Oh. <laughs> Take that. That's it's just trying, you're trying to shut my swim yeah. set down. Just I, you're just going tip for tat. I tried to shut your bloody discussion of the week down. Yeah. Today's swim set, we did it this morning 400 warm up, 75 meters freestyle, 25 meters backstroke, repeated four times through. 300 with a bit of drill work. So we do 25 with our fists closed. You haven't done that drill before. It's quite tricky. Why just, would you do it? Uh, it just helps you get better feel for the water or lack of feel for the water. And then when you open your hand out, you can just feel okay. it nicely. Helps so also contrast. promote sort of uh, early vertical forearms because um, yeah, your hand just kind of washes through the water. Uh, so we did 25 fists, 25 zipper drill where you slide your thumb up to your armpit. Helps to promote a nice high elbow in your recovery phase. And then 25 free. So I repeated that through a few times. And then the main set was 300 meters steady and then a little bit of rest. Three 100s, moderately hard. We did them on 135, so we get about 10 seconds rest or so. And then 650s, very hard, on 50 seconds. Repeated that twice through, so an 1,800-metre set. And then we finished off, well, some did, I didn't do all this, 1,000 metres ascending your 100-metre times. So you're starting out fast, and you're getting progressively slower as you go through the set. So the last bit of it is a warm-down. Jeez, that's a good effort. Mm, three and a half k. <laughs> Nice. Done. Great swim set. Mm. Okay, let's go our patrons. Brett Wachan. Oh, it's Brett Wachan. 
God, you got to get into it, man. Ian the Powerhouse Robinson. I'm giving you a new nickname, Brent. Oh, that's a great nickname. <laughs> Ian the Powerhouse Robinson. And uh, if you want to become a patron, go to www.iontalk.me. Uh, you go to support the boys and you just go through that process. We've changed how we do it now. You donate to the show. Uh, you get the boys to Kona, but also you go into the prize draw. We'll be doing draws for some of those cool gifts we're doing every few months. So check that out. Also, you're just supporting the show. If you want some coaching, go to coachjohnnewsome.com for my podcast, Bevan James Isles Show. Uh, cool content such as uh, Age Group of the Week, websites and other feedback. I am talkpodcast at gmail.com. John, your goss. How late is it going to be? Uh, I'm not sure. We'll f- find out soon. Oh, um, what's my guess, Bevan? Oh, we've got a dilemma. Here we I'll go. Tell you what, we've got a dilemma. It's not a nice dilemma either. Have we had a death in the family. Oh no! A guinea pig died. Oh, the week oh guinea pig! Guinea pig died the week before. They don't last. last long, do they? How well, long? How old was it? Well, no, they're supposed to last longer than oh. ours lasted. That was what happened at our house as well. Yeah, it only lasted two and a half years. So I think they're supposed to last maybe sort of four, five years or so. What was the, what Step. was wrong? What was the did you get a did you get a coroner's report? No. <laughs> Found out you have to dig a deep hole though. To, to, Why? To, because they, they rise up a little bit, but also if any animals come along. Oh, okay. So I had to dig like, yeah, quite deep. But the dilemma is with guinea pigs. You got one. You got one. Yeah. And apparently they get quite depressed and quite lonely. Oh, fair enough. So now we've got the dilemma. Do we get a new guinea pig? Oh. We've been mulling on it for about a week now. Do the kids like the guinea pig? Do the kids actually do the they work? They don't do enough work. Yeah. That's what... Yeah. That, that's what happened with ours. Mm. So we had this conundrum, and then we thought, right, we'll get one. And, oh, you and then you're on a slippery slope because the yeah, next one dies, yeah. and you've got to get another one. We only committed, Belinda only committed to it yesterday, and we're getting one through the SPCA. Yeah. And you've got to go and do like a meet the guinea pig sort of oh, later okay, in the yeah, week yeah, to make sure yeah. it's, a, it's a compatible yeah, match. Yeah. Guinea pig might say, hey, <laughs> I don't like these I don't guys. trust those two <laughs> We're not going there. They killed the first one. I can smell it. And that, but now the problem is the other one, we're thinking, she is really, really sad and she seems quite depressed. Okay. And not really moving around. Not How do you tell outside. that with a guinea pig? Sorry? How do you know? Well, they're not, she's not coming outside, not really playing, not eating as much. Uh. And this is what happened with the last one. We're going, oh, oh crap. <laughs> you need to die. <laughs> is this one going to die? And then we've got another guinea pig. And now we, I don't know, we're committed. Uh, it's just, can, you, can you give it to someone else? Um, You've got you to gotta give it to someone with a guinea pig. Yeah, that's what I mean. Potentially. Mm. You want a guinea pig? No. You need to want two? I don't get guinea pigs because what's the joy in a guinea pig? Yeah, I know. You know, like, because we've got a cat, and I'm not a a big animal lover, I'll admit it. Um, And we've got a cat, and Joe, like, it's. When the cat dies, it'll be a sadder day in Joe's life than when I die. (laughs) Right. Uh, And, you know, but that's cool. And I get it, I I totally get cats and dogs. Guinea pigs, they just sit there in the, in the, in the cage. Mm. And our guinea pigs were not, they were pretty scared, scattery sort of things, yeah. hard to cuddle. So. And the, the um, kids aren't because you didn't do them for you and Belinda, did you? No. We were, Belinda and I were more cut up than the kids when they, they, she died, though. Oh, so I, anyway, I, think, I think you pass it on. Okay. That's my strategy. Put it on Facebook. You've all got some guinea pigs. Can you look over this one? Yeah. You know, I think that's the strategy. Because you really want another guinea pig? Not really. See? Mm. Yeah. And your kids, how old are your kids now? They are 12 and 14. Yeah, 12 and 14. That's something to think about other things in life. <laughs> Especially yet. the 14-year-old. Yeah, Come no. on, John. Come on. Don't be naive. So that was it. I organised my first duathlon of the season uh, the weekend. That was nice. It was negative three when we were doing set-up. Who nice won? and crisp and frosty. Uh, who won? 
It was Brent Clifford smoked them all. It was a double duathlon, run, bike, run, bike, Ooh. run. Pretty fresh. A few listeners out there smashing out, which was good to see. And yeah, that was my weekend. This weekend I've got to run, not got to run, I am running a 10K. Apprehensive about how fast I'm going to go. The is old it legs aren't moving. Fast or is it just sorry? Is it off road or no? It's it's flat and it's uh, on a straight road. But you've got to do four or five laps, mm. and you lose a few seconds each yeah, turn. Yeah. yeah, so you got to do eight or eight or nine tens. So that adds on about thirty seconds or so, I reckon. Maybe maybe even more than that. I reckon probably adds on three minutes. minutes. Yeah. So last time I did this race, I had a little duel with Andrea Hewitt, uh, and she's still here. Is she in crisis? She's getting back into her running now. Yep. She's had a baby, and I don't think I'm that fast, as fast as I was back then, so we'll just wait and see. So it sounds like your training is taking you backward. It's not progressing. I'm not tra- training enough, okay. and it's not progressing quite as I would like mm-hmm. at this stage. Okay, there you go. Uh, what's my goss, John? My goss is I watched the All Blacks. Did you watch the All Blacks? I did not watch much of it. Oh, they dominated. That was good. Watch the Warriors. Did you watch the Warriors? Did not. I've given up on the Warriors. No, don't give up, John. They still win. Mm. That's the thing about the Warriors. They are an abusive relationship mm-hmm. because what happens is you think the season's over, so you give up, and then they win a couple, three games in a row, which they haven't done in like five years. Yeah. And now there's a chance they can make the top eight, which again they're not going to do, but they <laughs> give you the hope. So the Warriors are tough work. Uh, what else has been happening? The band's got a next gig and it's got it's pretty serious stuff, John. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's getting to the point where I might start telling people to come. Okay. Yeah, because I, I don't yeah. want to. I want to wait until we've got our music. Mm-hmm. But God, it takes forever to record an album. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we're kind of, we're like 80% of the album's finished, but it's still going to be another bloody month. And we're getting gigs where pubs expect you to bring a crowd now. Mm-hmm. And Dave and a band, he's good because he gets all his mates along. But I, I haven't told anyone yet because I want us to people to know our music. But it's kind of like we're doing a proper gig now and people mm. got to pay to come in. Mm. Yeah. I'm not coming in. <laughs> <laughs> it's only five bucks. You a few comps. Few comps. Going to hook a brother up. Uh, so, yeah, so I might start telling people to come to our gig soon, but pretty excited about the next gig. Serious stuff. stuff. Yep. Sound checking. All that serious stuff. Serious. Yep. Come on. Anyway, is he ready? We'll go there. Okay. Let's I'm Russ. Right. I'm Meadow. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha. kaha.